Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. This morning we did have a great time at West and I love what's happening down there. And we kicked off a new series and our new series starting today is called Bless This House. For those of you who have an English culture, English background and are kind of my age and a little bit older may remember the uh, 1970s sitcom Bless This House. It's got nothing to do with that, but it's just a great title. The small print there says, Building Christ-Centred Homes. Building Christ-Centred Homes. And so my question to start the morning off is simply this. Who wants to be blessed? Give me a show of hands if you want to be blessed. Fantastic. All of those with your hands down mean you want to be cursed. Is that right? (laughs) No. We want to be blessed. I'm sure you would agree. We want to live a blessed lives. We want to live a blessed life. Amen. You know the word blessed simply means this. It means to be well off. It means to be fortunate. And it means, get this, to be envied. This is the meaning of blessed. The teaching of Jesus, when He used the word blessed, was that you would have a life that is fortunate, that is well off, that is a life that is to be envied. The Bible says it this way, that we'd be salt and light, that people, there'd be an attractive pull to our lives, that people couldn't help but ask, what is so different about your lives? This is what Jesus said when He talked about living a blessed life. Amen. Sadly, When you look at many families today, and I include Christian families in that, is that we see them more troubled than blessed. Rather than saying, I'm blessed, they say, I'm struggling. Rather than saying, I'm blessed, they say, man, marriage is harder than I thought it was going to be. Man, instead of saying, I'm blessed, they say, those children, they're hard work. Man, instead of saying, I'm blessed, we say, man, I'm struggling financially. These are words that come out of our mouths all too often. Now, granted, I do believe we live in a time and an age where there is more temptation than ever before. We see more single families, more single parent families, more blended families. And then I realise with all of these things, life gets complicated and it's easy to get overwhelmed at times. And again, in keeping with one of our cultures, we need to keep it real, but we don't want the realness of our um, um, uh, experience to rob us of the truth of God's Word. So we need to have a faith that is buoyant enough to be able to handle the realities that seek to overwhelm us, but we have to stand on the truth so that those things do not ultimately overwhelm us. Amen. And so what we want to do is look at the teaching of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 5, which is often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus does an incredible teaching. And within that teaching, He does what is called the Beatitude teaching. Uh, The Beatitude is the teaching that Jesus brought in Matthew chapter 5, where he gives insight to the character and nature of what is required of being a Christian. In other words, he addresses the attitude that we should have in order to be. And Matthew chapter 5 addresses eight characteristics of those who want to live a blessed life. And uh, we want to look at four of them over the next four weeks. Next week, we want to look at blessed are the pure in heart, which has to do with the attitude toward truth. Week number three, we want to look at blessed are the peacemakers, 
which is the attitude toward opposition. I said, peacemakers, not cheesemakers. For any of the Monty Python fans out there, Life of Brian, you'll know what I mean. Basically, there's this little scene where Jesus is doing His Sermon on the Mount and because the crowd is so vast, those at the back couldn't quite hear what Jesus was saying and they were talking amongst themselves, kind of what happens in church week after week, actually. And they said, what, what did He say? I said, I, I said, I think He said, blessed are the cheesemakers. And someone interrupts and says, no, 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 no. He's saying, blessed are all the dairy producers. You know, just kind of, just gets this kind of out of crazy. But what He actually said was, Blessed are the peacemakers. And we're going to look at that in week three. And then in week four, we want to look at blessed are the persecuted, uh, persecuted, which is our attitude toward suffering. But today, I wonder if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter five. And I want to read two verses, verses one and five. Verse one says this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountain and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Today, we want to look at blessed are the hungry and thirsty, which addresses the attitude toward God. Why do I say this? Because Christianity is a relationship. And as we know with every relationship, every relationship needs feeding. If you're married, you will understand that. If you're dating, you'll understand that. If you have children, you'll understand that. Every relationship needs feeding. And if you don't feed a relationship, it will be unhealthy and get weak because every relationship needs feeding. Let me, let me highlight it this way. At, at dinner time, Kath, my wife, will often ask this question. What are you hungry for? She may ask that of me or of the kids. And what we are hungry for is often what we end up having to eat. The truth is this, that you'll always be filled with what you're hungry for. And Jesus said it this way, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, then guess what? You'll be filled with righteousness. And so the question I have for us this morning is that in your home and in your heart, what do you hunger for? This is an opportunity for us to get honest and real this morning. Let me say it this way. What are you pursuing? Or let me say it this way. What matters to you most? And if we're honest, we might answer this. And I want us to get honest because it's one of our values. We keep it real. If we get honest, we might say this. Well, um, if I'm honest, I, I hunger comfort. And I think there's a lot of Christians that want comfort more than Christ. Some might say, I want fun. Some might say, I want excitement, popularity, money, fame. And if we're really honest, we conclude that maybe, just maybe, we are pursuing many things above the things of God. In other words, we're hungering the wrong things. And when you hunger the wrong things, the answer is simple. You've got to change your appetite. If we find ourselves here this morning, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, hungering the wrong thing, then we've just got to change our appetite. I'm not here to bring condemnation. I'm not here to make you feel bad. But we have invited the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And if He brings a conviction that maybe, just maybe, we've been hungering the wrong things, let's surrender to that. Let's surrender to what the Holy Spirit is saying and, and then learn how we might make some changes and then ask for the help of the Holy Spirit to give us the strength to be able to make those changes in our lives. How do we 
Change our hunger? Well, it starts with changing our appetites. See, let me explain it this way. And most of you know this, some would not. But I've been drinking tea my whole life. My dad tells a story when I was about 12 months to 18 months. He made me a cup of tea which had a lot of milk and a lot of sugar and a little bit of tea. And I just devoured that cup of tea. And I've been drinking tea for the rest of my life. I'm 50 years of age, which means for 49 years, my go-to drink, my drink of choice is tea. It's not coffee. It's not alcohol. It's actually tea. I love tea. Can I get an amen? Are there any people out there that love Bless This House, Monty Python and tea? Anyone? You must be English. Okay, that's great. That's fine. I love tea. But get this, 10 years ago, when I was 40, I decided that I was going to change my appetite concerning tea. And I went cold turkey. I went from two sugars to none. I used to have milk and two sugars. And I called that tea. And then when I hit 40, I thought, you know what, I'm going to get rid of some sugar in my life. And I stopped having sugar. And I'm going to be honest with you. I know you're not going to want to hear this. You're going to want to hear, when I made that decision, God bless me. And that cup of tea tasted amazing. That's what you want to hear. We want to hear that whenever I make a tough decision, God's going to make it so easy that the tough decision is easy. Well, I tell you what I did. I, I took my first sip and thought, oh my gosh, this is disgusting. <laughs> but I'd made a decision to change my appetite. And so I had another cup of tea. And guess what? That was just as disgusting. And the third cup of tea was even worse. And I thought, what, have I, what am I doing? I've taken away the one love of my life. Tea. But I persisted and I continued. And I did it month after month after month after month after month after month. I did not have tea in my sugar. In my, I didn't have sugar in my tea. And lo and behold, someone out of the blue, one day asked me if I'd like a cup of tea and I said yes, but I didn't tell them how I have my tea. They just made it the old way, unbeknownst to me. And they made me a cup of tea and I took a sip and guess what? It was disgusting. <laughs> it was too sweet. It was gross. Oh my gosh, what have you done to the tea? I said, no, they have, have you normally have it. Two sugars, two sugars, oh my gosh. It was disgusting and I realised that moment my appetite had changed. My desire had changed. And then I thought about it even further. Wow, probably for the first time in my life, I can say now I truly love tea. Because if I was really honest with you, although I've been drinking tea my whole life, I actually think I love sugar more than tea. I wonder this morning, how many of us have God and, 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 and. And I think God is wanting to strip away some of the ands in our life so that we can get back to you and Him. And for all of you out there who say you love Brussels sprouts, no, you don't. They are ungodly. 
I'm always amazed that people say they love prostitutes. And then I find out what they do to them. You don't love them. If you love prostitutes, you wouldn't saturate them in butter. Garlic, salt, honey, sugar. And they say, oh, I love prostitutes. No, you don't. No, you don't. You love all the ingredients that go with it. And if you're a purist out there, God bless you. But I really do believe it's a picture to us this morning that we say we love God, but, but maybe it's all the other things that come with it that we love more than God. I mean, I, mean, I, I do. I love, I love church because of the fellowship and the friendship. Some of you met the love of your lives. You got married. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the moment those loves become greater than our hunger and thirst for God, we get ourselves into problems. The Bible says it this way, when you hunger and thirst after God, you will be filled. But for that to happen, your appetites for other things will have to change. Many of you are familiar with the story that prior to the planning of this church, I prayed with my brother for two years, every morning. Monday morning through to Saturday morning, I would run around his house from 5.30 in the morning to 6.30 and we just prayed. And the premise of that prayer meeting was this, I had a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. I had no outcome in mind. I just wanted more of God. If you were to ask me, why was I praying? It's real simple. I just wanted more of God. I want more of the things of God. I don't know what I want, but I want more of God. And we would pray things like, rend the heavens, O God, and come down, shake all that can be shaken, have your way in this place, do things we've never dreamed, hoped, or even imagined. God, I don't know what I'm asking this morning, but I know this to be true. I want you, and I want more of you. I'm hungry, and I'm thirsty, and we seek you this morning, O God. That was our prayer for two years. Not once during that time did I desire to plant a church, be in ministry, go full-time into the ministry. In actual fact, if you told me at the beginning of this prayer meeting that that's where it was going to lead, I probably wouldn't have prayed at all because that wasn't the desire then. But you know what happened over two years? The hunger grew. The desire for God changed. The desire for other things stopped. And after two years of praying, my pastor came to me and said, hey, have you ever thought of starting your own church? And honestly, I said, no, but I knew like I knew like I knew that that was my next Step something had changed over two years. God snuck up on me. And so for those of you in this room who say, I don't know the will of God for my life, praise God you don't. Don't panic if you don't know what the next 10 years of your life is going to look like. Because if God told you with your present desires, you'd probably freak out. I remember when I was 15 years of age, I just started working with my dad. I was loving life. And if you told me 10 years from now, you're going to be starting your own church, I would not have been a happy person because I didn't desire those things back then. But little by little, slowly but surely, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, God changes desires. And I'm trusting and praying that through this series, our desires for other things, lesser things, would dissipate and our hunger and thirst for the things of God would grow, that we may truly see blessed homes in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's a question that I think is worthy of asking. Why don't we see more of this, particularly among Christian families? 
And I want to highlight just two big enemies to Christian families. Two big enemies. Number one is legalistic Christians. Legalistic Christians are Christians that say you can't and you must. You shouldn't and you ought not. You're not allowed. We can't do that. This is the legalistically imposed laws and rules and regulation that is such a bondage to New Testament Christianity. Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full. He didn't come to give us a whole heap of rules and regulations to obey and not to obey. He came that we might have life and have a relationship with Him. You know, I've got a lot of, we've got a lot of teachers in this church and they'll be the first to tell you, a lot of the worst kids are Christian kids. And some of the very worst are pastor's kids. Because they've been brought up with what they're allowed to do and not allowed to do. And when they get outside of that covering, they just go wild because they've been living under such bondage. I thank God I did not grow up in a legalistic home. I thank God that my dad never told me I can't smoke and I can't drink and I can't have sex before marriage and I can't party. He just modelled something that was so attractive to me. He just modelled something minus all of those things and I just wanted to be like him. And so he never told me I'm not allowed to. He never told me you can't. He never told me you shouldn't. We had conversations, don't get me wrong. But there was nothing ever legalistically imposed on me. And it's what we've tried to do for our kids. Legalism will never lead to the freedom and the blessed life that Jesus spoke about. The second biggest enemy, I believe, to Christian families is not only legalistic Christianity, but lukewarm Christianity. And in this day and generation, this is probably a bigger problem. People often ask me, what's the biggest enemy to the church right now? Is it the devil? Is it the witches in the Adelaide Hills that are praying over? Is it all these things? I said, no, 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 no. I think the biggest problem to the church is lukewarm Christians. Mediocrity to me is probably the biggest problem we are facing right now as a church. Not just Victory Church, but the church, particularly in the Western world. Question, when was the last time as a Christian family, you prayed with your family? When's the last time as a Christian family you, you actually read the Bible together? When's the last time as a Christian family you actually had God conversations with your family? The Bible says it this way in Revelation chapter 3, I would rather you hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. As a tea lover, I get that. So you can market iced tea, and you can market hot tea. You can sell hot tea and you can sell iced tea. What you can't sell is lukewarm tea. No one likes your lukewarm tea. We like hot tea. We like iced tea. We just don't like it in the middle. Can I get an amen? We want it hot. We want it cold. We just don't want your tea lukewarm. And Jesus likes His people hot or cold. He doesn't like lukewarm. He would rather you cold. He'd rather you backslide. He'd rather you give up on the things of God because at least you're being true to yourself. And when you're true to yourself, that's when you can experience God again because you're not hiding behind a facade called religion. But when we sit in this lukewarm state, we kid ourselves that we're on fire when we're not. At least the backslider knows he's not on fire. He knows he's out of the will of God and God can speak again. But when we kid ourselves that we're on fire when actually we're just lukewarm, 
it becomes a problem. You know, I've called this series Bless His House, but what I really wanted to call this series is Do You Even Jesus? But because it's not a youth group, I knew most of us wouldn't get it. So there we go. <laughs> so having said all this today, how, how can this work? How can we have a home that is truly blessed? And I just want to say this on the fr- off the front, that we are not a perfect family. We're not a perfect church. And we're not a perfect family. Kath and I are not perfect parents. Our kids are not perfect kids. But I do believe that there are some things that we found in the Word of God that we've applied to our lives and our family for a long period of time and we have the fruit to show for it. And it's because of that I want to speak about some things I believe they're going to be helpful this morning. See, many people say that they're a Christian family, but foundationally I want to say this. For us... We're not just a Christian family. We are a Christ-centered home. There's a big difference between being a Christian family and having Christ at the center. There's a big difference. See, the term Christian, I think, has, has lost its significance. It doesn't mean as much these days. See, you can, you can uh, say that you're a duck. And you can walk like a duck. And, and quack like a duck. But you know what? You know what? Unless you can fly, unless you can lay eggs, you ain't a duck. So you can do all that other stuff. But you're not a duck. And there's certain things we can do and call ourselves a Christian, but... Unless Christ is at the centre of your home. I don't know how real our relationship is. Psalm 61 verse 1 says this. You God are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. The author of this psalm is David. David's that little punk of a kid that took on Goliath. We love that story. We all want to be David in that story. We all want a a story where, you know, the odds are against us and, and God comes through for us. But that happened because there was this young kid who earnestly sought the Lord, who thirsted after Him. If you want to take down the giants in your life, the question really begs to be asked is this. How much do you desire? How much do you seek after? How much do you thirst? How much do you hunger for the things of God? Because this I know, if, God, if David did not have God on his side, it would have gone horribly wrong for him that day on the battlefield against Goliath. See, putting Christ at the centre of your home will reap its benefits. Now again, we're not a perfect family, but... I've been blessed many, many times by my kids. But in the lead up to the 25th anniversary, which we celebrated only three weeks ago, Mitchie put something on social media, and I, and I want to read it to you this morning because it really blessed me. I'm a words of affirmation guy. That's kind of my number one love language. And so I'm the kind of guy that if you give me a card, 
I'm not just going to throw the card away and look for the money. That's the gifts person. They're going to do that. But for me, if you ever give me a card, I'm going to read every word because words are important to me. And so Mitchie put this photo of Kath and I up there, which personally I wish he picked a better photo of me. But anyway, that's fine. But it's so cute of Kath. I mean, this is one of my favourite photos of Kath. We were 19 at the time and we've been dating for, I think, five years at that time. It's kind of crazy. But uh, he, he liked that photo. He put the photo up there. But this is what he wrote. He said, this weekend, Victory Church celebrates 25 years of changing the world. Thanks, Mitch. By faith, amen. None of which would have been possible without the yes from Kath and Tony Rainbow. The amount you two have sacrificed for myself and very genuinely countless others is a testimony to God's grace combined with your infectious and enthusiastic, authentic love for people. You guys are an incredible example of how to balance work, family, marriage, fun, education, and so much more. Your sacrifice for ministry has never come, this is the bit I want you to get, at the cost to Jordan, Bailey, or myself. And despite all your travel and commitment to the church, I've never once felt unloved or neglected. Thank you for saying yes to God, even before you knew Victory Church would ever exist. And thank you for never giving up or giving in. I am one of far too many to number that is a better person because of you two. I love you. Enjoy this weekend, please. Now, like I've already said, we're not perfect parents, but I know every parent in this room would love their 19-year-old son or daughter to write something about them like that. And this I want to tell you. I did not twist Mitch's arm to write that. I didn't say, Mitch, I'm preaching a series coming up, and I'd really love it if you could point this, because this would be a great... <laughs> That's what religion does. It's what le- So if you, could, if you could do this, and then I refer to it, that'd be really cool, because it would make us look good... That's what religion does. It, 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 it performs. This is not a performance. This is culture. Yeah. What's in just oozed out. And I think it's amazing because as a couple in ministry that have had a young family, and this is all our family know is ministry life, we've left our kids more than most parents will ever leave their kids, and yet they don't feel neglected. See, being with them or not being with them isn't neglect in and of itself. It's what you do when you're with them that counts and matters most. And so when I, when I saw that, I was like, wow, God is so good and so kind and his ways really work. This is not about our parenting. This is about God's ways. And when we're engaged with God's ways, there is a fruit that you will reap. And that's at the heart of this series. And so very quickly, three ways to create hunger for God, real quick. Number one, and this is real simple, but these are things that we have lived and done for many, many years. Number one, make God part of your daily conversations. It's not rocket science. It's real simple. Make God part of your daily conversations. In other words, help your husband, wife, children, people in your world, help them to join the dots between what is happening and the goodness of God, between what is happening and God's involvement. I remember many times we'd be in the car with the kids and the sun would be going down and say, look at that sunset. And I'd say it this way, look what my father made. Look what dad did. And it gave us opportunity just to talk about how good God is and how big God is and how vast God is and how amazing he is. And so remember, remember last night's sunset? Well, oh, this one's even different again. It's amazing. So Have God conversations 
with your family. We've mentioned before there was many times we had to leave our kids to be involved in churches in other parts of Australia and the world, but that also meant that they had opportunities to travel with us. And our kids are fairly well-traveled kids, and, and every time we were away with them, we'd say, hey, kids, you realize you would not be here doing this at this moment in this part of Australia or this part of the world had we not said yes to God. God's incredibly kind. He's incredibly good. Oh, my gosh, he's blessed us. I remember driving home from church. It's a little bit different now because the kids are getting older, but there used to be three kids on the back row, and we'd always say, hey, kids, what are you take away from church? And we just get some feedback from them. And one thing Kath and I never did was talk about church in a negative light. And we didn't talk about who was there or who wasn't there, what they said or what they didn't say. We just talked about the positives and we just wanted to know what God had spoken to them about. And we included them in on the journey. It wasn't something mum and dad did, it's something we do. This is what we do. We're blessed by God to be a blessing to others. So, so tell me, what did, you, what did you get out of the message today? Which when you've preached it can sound narcissistic. Like, well, what did you like about what I said? It can sound narcissistic. But it can actually be an incredible opportunity to engage with young people and know what they are thinking, know what they are hearing, knowing what they are seeing. And I'm so glad for so many of those conversations we had and continue to have to this day. This is not hard. But just make God part of your daily conversations. That's what a Christ-centered home does. A Christian family, they just go to church on Sunday and then you'd never know they were Christian during the week. I promise you this, our kids are too discerning. They love life too much to be sitting on the, in church today if we were just playing a game. I know Mitch and Jordan, and particularly Mitch, there's no way Mitch would still be in church if we did the legalistic home thing. But they love church. And they love God and they love our, their family. And I think, guys, this works if we will just involve them in God in our daily conversations. Secondly, make church a non-negotiable. Parents who treat church as optional shouldn't be surprised when their children treat Jesus as unnecessary. Oh, okay. <laughs> I felt a little bit of legalism there, but it's okay, I'll do it. I'll do it because I'm too scared not to. Parents who treat church as optional shouldn't be surprised when their children treat Jesus as unnecessary. Do you know how many youth pastors get run through the ringer as to why people get out of youth and then fall away? And there are youth pastors after youth pastors beating themselves up, turning themselves inside out looking at themselves, examining themselves. What could we have done more when really the issue is not the youth ministry? It's not the youth pastor's problem. It stemmed back 18 years earlier and every day since then in the way mum and dad conducted life. You can't go to church on Sunday and then not act like a Christian for the rest of the week and expect kids when they become an adult to keep that up. It's little wonder when people get to 18, 19, they just fall away. But I would say the biggest reason for that is largely to do with what happens in the home or more importantly, what doesn't happen in the home. And again, I'm not here to bring condemnation. If, if that's your experience, I'm not here to point the finger. We're not here to make you feel bad. We're here to simply recognise the problem, make some adjustments so we can fix it for the future. Amen.
So let's make church non-negotiable. You know, our, our family is a fairly regimented family. We're pretty disciplined and in, 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 in structured in so many ways. But when it came to Sundays, we, we used Sunday as a treat day because our kids would be in bed at a certain time, midweek. But Sunday night, instead of saying we can't come anymore because we've got kids. The, I mean, kids are a blessing from the Lord. And I'm amazed how many times the blessing from the Lord becomes a distraction from the blessor. And so what we used to do, we got smart and we decided we're going to make church day fun day. We're going to actually use it to reward the kids. And so normally they'd be in bed by 7.30, but on Sunday night, no, 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 you get to stay up late. And you know what? You don't normally have McDonald's, but on Sunday we have McDonald's. And Sunday became an incredible day to celebrate not only God and church, but family. And we get to stay up late and we get to McDonald's. And I thank God that other pastors were smart enough to implement this kind of strategy. I remember staying at Matt McGaw's house. Many times I've preached there and I've watched the kids grow up. Of course, Dan McGaw, our youth pastor, is Matt's son. And it's so cool. I'd go around there and I'd preach on a Sunday in Canberra there. And on Sunday night, we'd go back to their house and all the lollies would come out. And I love preaching at Canberra for no other reason but on Sunday night, I knew I was getting a chocolate bar and I was getting lollies and it's just going to be amazing. So I'm saying yes every time they ask me to preach. And Dan and I would be eating all the lollies. I'd be pushing these kids off. Mine, mine, mine. Why not? Far better that than we can't go to church. Church is the thing we used to do before we had kids. Oh, yeah, God's blessed us with kids, but we don't go to church anymore because of those kids. Doesn't make sense. Come on, church. Let's make church a non-negotiable. Amen? And number three, as the band come up, that'd be great. Make seeking and serving God fun. Make it fun. It's amazing. I started reading my Bible when I was uh, 15 years of age. And my dad never made me read the Bible. Again, I just saw that that's what he used to do. And I wanted to be like him. And so at 15 years of age, I said, hey, Dad, can I, can I start reading the Bible? He said, no. <laughs> like, Why would you? I mean, he said, yeah, it'd be great. And, and, and I shared his devotional, and, we, and we'd read together. And he, never, he never said, you've got to read your Bible. And we've tried to adopt that with our kids. And I love the fact that we have three kids, and they all read their Bible. We've never said, you must read the Bible. Our oldest two, they're part of our daily reading program which means we get to journal together and we get to see their thoughts and they get to see our thoughts. We never said you have to do that. Because what I believe is because we, we try to make doing life and ministry fun, serving God fun. It can't all be serious. If you're too serious, you're not going to make it. We, we work hard at having fun. I thank God that we've got three incredible kids that are living great lives for Jesus. And, and we haven't said, you're not allowed to drink. You're not allowed to smoke. You can't go to the party. That, that's, that hasn't been our conversations. We just talk about life and we talk about God and we talk about all those things. And, and we try to model that, you know what, all those things that people seek in doing those things, you can get actually serving God. Why do they go to the parties for fun? Well, we can have fun here. 
Why do they get drunk? Because they, they want an experience that's higher than, than their natural bodies will allow them. Well, that's why we get in contact and connection with God. And like I grew up in youth ministry, there's no high like the most high. That's what we grew up with. It's coming around. It'd be new again. It'd be kind of cool again. There's, there ain't no high like the most high. That's what we were told. And I never, I never forget being a 19-year-old up in Queensland, meeting my cousins for the first time. And I went out and had a beer with them and they were drinking. And I stopped after one. And, but I, I had a beer, I did. And I'll never forget my cousin who was there on that night came down six months later, Adelaide. And I said, look, come to youth. And he came to youth and, and he started saying, oh, yeah, I'll never forget. When I first met Tony up in Queensland, you should see this one night. He was so drunk. And all of the, all, I was a youth leader at the time. And all the eyes were on me now. And I'm like, I, and I just remember thinking, wow, I did have a beer. And, and I made a decision. I do not want alcohol to get the credit for all this. God and me, we're enough. I didn't want alcohol getting the credit for all what God can do in and through me. And so no conversation, just a moment of realisation. And I've tried to model my life and be an example of what it is in the highs and the lows. We almost said goodbye to our dad this week. Well, we actually did say goodbye. He's still around, though. But I try to model, you know what? In the midst of your pain, where do you go on Sunday? You just at church. And none of you would have known because I wasn't carrying it. Because every day of my life, there's an invitation from Jesus direct to me as there is to you. It says, all you who are weary, tired, jaded, heavy laden, sick to death of religion, don't want to be in church, come to me. All of you have got questions you can't answer, come to me. Struggling in your marriage, come to me. Struggling with your kids, come to me. And I'll give you rest. And I found rest in God to be able to come Sunday by Sunday by Sunday by Sunday for the last 25 years doing what I do, not because I'm special, but because he is. If there's anything special about me, it's the ability to open up my heart to the one who is special on a regular, consistent, ongoing, daily basis. In conclusion, Joshua chapter 24, which is one of my favorite portions of scripture, Joshua is coming to the promised land. Over the last 40 years, I've been walking around in the desert and a few bad habits had picked up. And Joshua draws a line in the sand. And I feel like we're drawing a line in the sand today, church. Picked up a few bad habits because of circumstances and situations. That's fine, but let's, let's draw a line in the sand. And Joshua says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. That's his command. But then he brings in a choice. He says, 
But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then you choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in the land in whom you are living. But as for me and my house, as for me and my house, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. As for me and my house, People often ask me, how do you handle it when this person or that person, or they say this, or they say that, or they put this on social media? You know what? That's got nothing to do with me and my house. It's as for me and my house. I made a commitment. We're going to make it to the end. As for me and my house. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 